Hey, listening family, we are embarking on a new study in 2 Samuel. It's an exciting book to study, and it's a heavy book at times because it focuses on a man named David, a man known for being one after God's own heart, a man who we know running from Saul for so many years, but a man who also inflicted a lot of pain on his own life by bad decisions. We're going to look at the life of David. We're going to look at this first chapter, how the mighty have fallen, and see into David's heart. And we'll do that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. It's hard in our culture with our flesh and the world and the devil to follow the Lord fully. But the kingdom of God is about a decision that you and I need to make as to who we're going to follow. Are we going to follow the Lord fully or not? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. One writer says, David, as we transition from Saul to David, is one of the most important figures of world history. He has captured the imagination of great artists, sculptors, and writers. A large part of the reason for this is the remarkable account of his life and reign found in 1 and 2 Samuel. The story is captivating. In one of the world's finest pieces of narrative literature, the greatness and the weaknesses of this man's life are portrayed in vivid and gripping detail. I was thinking, what would it be like to know that a, an account of your life the good, the bad, and the ugly was going to be recorded for future generations. And I'm talking about warts and all. I'm talking about not just your good times, not just your great decisions, not just your spiritual moments, but your moments of weakness, your worst mistake on display for the next hundred generations should the Lord tarry. How would you feel about that? Would you want to be, have final control over edits can I get a witness? I would. <laughs> Can we take that part out? That doesn't sound so good, right? But David's life is on display for all to see. And you know, our lives, the Bible says, are naked and open before the one to whom we must give an account. In heaven, there are books. One day, the books are going to be opened. And we're not going to be judged for our sin, but the good, the bad, and the ugly if we're, we're Christians, we're not going to be judged for our sin, is still before God. This is the man who is the unexpected king. You know, when the prophet went to the house, you remember? Oh, surely it's this one, Lord. The Lord says, no. Surely it's this one, Lord. The Lord says, no. Finally, the prophet has to say, you got any other kids? You know, yeah, there's one out in the field with the sheep. He's the ruddy one. He's a little shepherd boy. That's the man. God does not use people that we expect, the ones that always have the right look and all the gifts that we think should make a person what they're supposed to be. David's story foreshadows the greatest story, that of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I am going to do 2 Samuel, and we've done one verse so far. And we are, we're going to move into 2 Samuel. But I want to show you just a few things as I introduce this concept of the kingdom of God to you that the Bible says. And I want to try to do this from the book of Luke. So would you go to Luke 4? And I just want to show you 
what you belong to and how many times this comes up in your Bible. You remember when Jesus first started preaching? He came and he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He said, it's the time. The kingdom of God is what? Is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Luke 4. This is one of the purpose statements in the Bible. Luke 4, 43. Jesus has done a bunch of healing at Capernaum and he says these words. He said to them, 443 of Luke, I must preach the what? The kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose. Now there's very few times in your Bible when you're going to see a purpose statement made by the Lord. This is why I came to the world. He will tell Pilate in the Gospel of John, Pilate says to him, so you're a king then? Jesus says, oh, you say rightly I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this reason I came into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, in the, in the interchange, Jesus says, you know, my servants were, would be fighting that the, those who handed me over to you, you know, this would not occur. But for right now, my kingdom is not of this realm. You're a king then? You have a kingdom? Do you remember when the wise men came? They sought out one who was born, what? King of the Jews. And they brought him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. The king and the kingdom, the kingdom of God to which we belong. Chapter 8, verse 1 of the Gospel of Luke says, It came about soon afterwards, Luke 8, 1, that he began going from one city and village to another, Proclaiming and preaching what? The kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. Go to Luke 11. This is the Lord's Prayer. The disciples were watching Jesus pray and they wanted to learn what he was doing. And so he taught them these words. He said to them, Luke 11, 2, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. What's the prayer? Thy kingdom come. How many times have you guys prayed that? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, this, this is the New Testament, you guys. And, and this is what it says over and over again. Luke 16, 16. Luke, move over there for a second. Luke 16, 16 says, Jesus is speaking. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone is what? Forcing or pressing his way into it. It would appear that the kingdom of God is something that you have to enter into. It is something that you have to move into as a decision that you make as an individual. Look at Luke 17. Look at verse 21. This is confirmed in this section. Luke 17, 21 says... Nor will they say, Jesus speaking, look, here it is, speaking of the kingdom of God, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is what? It's in your midst. Now, New Agers say, you see, the kingdom of God is in us. All you got to do is look within. Er, wrong. Sorry. The kingdom of God being in your midst means it's here. I'm here. I'm the king of the kingdom. Or other scholars would say it's represented in the apostles. In your midst means around you. It's right here, right now. 
in me, the king, and my servants who are part of the kingdom. Would you enter into it? Would you come into the kingdom? In Luke 18, look at verse 16. Luke 18, 16, you may say, well, how do you get into this kingdom? Jesus called for them saying, permit, 18, 16 of Luke, the children to come to me and do not hinder them for what? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall what? Shall not enter into it at all. The kingdom of God is something that you enter into by doing what? By changing your allegiances. When you say, when you decide to become a Christian, what you say, here's the biblical prayer. You say, Jesus is what? Is Lord. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, and you confess him as Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus uh, is Lord, that he rose from the dead, you will what? You will be saved. Even what we have taken the sinner's prayer from has the idea of the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a transfer of allegiance from one king, who's the god of this world right now? Satan. To another king, King Jesus. So you don't say to your king, uh, by the way, there's a few things in small print that I don't do. I don't do windows. I, I don't use the weed whacker. Uh, you know, I don't do this or that. No, you say, you bow before your king and say, whatever you say, that's what I will do. Give me my marching orders. In Luke 18, look down at verse 24. It says, And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, then who can be saved? Over and over again, we can see this happening. And I want to show you uh, just a few other places and we'll move back to 2 Samuel. Go over to Luke 21. Luke 21. This is the Olivet Discourse, so it parallels Matthew 24. And for those of you who have been coming and listening to the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, um, this will be familiar to you. But Luke 21, pick it up at verse 27, says these words, Jesus talking about his return says, Then 21, 27, They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that what? The kingdom of God is near. Jesus said, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You can write down Luke 22, 18. And I'm going to tell you, I want to show you one more. It's in Luke 23. It's in verse 42. It's the famous exchange between Jesus and the thief on the cross. And he turned and said to Jesus, coming to his senses, seeing the kingliness of Jesus, he said to Jesus, Luke 23, 42, Remember me when you, what? when you come into your kingdom. This is all over our Bibles. The idea of the kingdom of God. The idea that King Jesus is our ruler and the one that we follow. Turn back to the book of 2 Samuel. 
there's a little introduction on the kingdom of God. Now you, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, then what exactly is the Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on the Armor of God, I'll get you a signed copy, and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you, and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. It's in verse 42. It's the famous exchange between Jesus and the thief on the cross. And he turned and said to Jesus, coming to his senses, seeing the kingliness of Jesus, he said to Jesus, Luke uh, 23, 42, remember me when you, uh, when you come into your kingdom. This is all over our Bibles. The idea of the kingdom of God. The idea that King Jesus is our ruler and the one that we follow. Turn back to the book of 2 Samuel. There's a little introduction on the kingdom of God. Now you, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, then what exactly is the kingdom of God and how does one enter it? Well, I've already hinted at it and it's this. It's when you decide to change your allegiances to the Lord. His lordship in your life. When you're tired of trying to do it your way and the world's way and the devil's way and you surrender and you say, you are my king and I will do what you say. Now some of you are wondering, well, does that mean that salvation is by works? No, that's not what it means. When you become a subject of the king, we're all in process, right? But do you guys feel like sometimes in the modern church, when an invitation is given, do you sometimes wonder if people even know what they're doing? I, I do wonder that. And I know pastors, we all mean well, and we preach a message and we try to give a succinct invitation to the king and the kingdom, and we tell people what's required. And, and the Bible does say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But the idea of belief in Greek is more than just believe intellectually. It has the idea of trust. It does have the idea of switching allegiances from the God of this world, the, the doing it your own way, which is today's philosophy pretty much, and saying, Jesus, you are my king. I will do what you say. I will obey you. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, or King, King, and not do what I say? You know, I run across people sometimes in situations where we're doing some counseling, and the, the situation is difficult and people are wondering what should they do. And the first question that, that has to be asked by a pastor or a counselor is, are you willing to do what the Bible says despite how you feel? Are you? That's what a subject of the kingdom and the king does. They do what he says despite how they feel. Now, all of us are a work in progress, we know. And we've all got work to do. And we all need grace 
The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, this may be the only direct, you know, specific definition of the kingdom of God. Write this down for your notes. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness or justice. It's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to belong to the kingdom. If you are a Christian, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of what? Of light. From the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You now have new marching orders. The rest of your Christian life is really about trying to find out what pleases the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we all know the verses. We can quote them. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We're to be holy and pleasing to Him. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might find out what the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God is. Every day when we wake up, we have a chance to bow before the king and say, what would you have me to do today? What are your marching orders for me? I, I like to envision the times when there were knights and kings and and, you know, knights would go through a process where they were a squire and, the, and they would grow and they would be taught. And finally, they would be knighted after a, day of, uh, a night of prayer and fasting. And they would be in service to the king and the kingdom. I like to envision myself in the morning, kneeling before my king and asking him to touch me with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with his power and, and send me out to do what he's called me to do. This is the king and this is the kingdom. This is what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw Saul, even though he was the king of Israel, blow it. And he staggered and he made mistakes. David had his moments too, but David continued to strengthen himself in the Lord. Saul died at the hands of the Philistines while David was slaughtering the Amalekites down in the south. And he was at Ziklag for two days. This is a place that the Achish, the king of the Philistines, had given to David to, to stay. Look at verse 2. And it happened on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and dust on his head. This appearance of the man would signal bad news. And it came about when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. He probably had to travel about three days from the battle in the north with the Philistines and Saul to get to Ziklag where David was. And David had just... Uh, rescued his family and his wives from the Amalekites who had taken them as booty and burned the village. And David went and rescued his family and he defeated the Amalekites and he did something that Saul was supposed to do. Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites totally, but he refused to obey God. And Amalekites are going to be all over this text. In fact, we're going to show up, we're going to see that the man who shows up is an Amalekite. He comes on the third day. Would you note it, Bible students, on the third day? One writer says, as we read the gospel accounts in the New Testament, it's interesting to notice that after the death of Jesus, there were two days in which the future was uncertain, at least to those who were afraid and waiting, for they knew not what. It was on the third day that the next major event occurred. The New Testament writers understood Jesus' resurrection on the third day had been anticipated by the scriptures. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 4. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the two days between the death of Saul and the emergence of David on the third day was part of this pattern, pointing to the greater David 
who would emerge as king, if you will, on day three in resurrection, confirmed to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Saul was dead. Hosea 13, 11 says, I gave you a king, Saul, in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. God gave the people what they wanted, but he knew it was going to end badly, and he knew that the king would take, take, and take more from them. And, you know, when you, when you try to do things God's, uh, not God's way, but the enemy's way or the world's way, it ends up costing you more, more, and more. Have you noticed? Things look really attractive at the beginning. And so you take the bait, but you don't realize that there's a hook behind the bait. That's how the enemy works. There's a lot of people who, you know, had all this promise and ended up dangling from a hook, sadly. So David said to this mystery man, this visitor who's now come disheveled before David, from where do you come? And he said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. David said to him, how did things go? David's been waiting. He doesn't know what's happened to Saul and his sons. He says, please tell me. I want news of the battle. Verse 4, and he said, the people have fled from the battle. Also, many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. You can imagine David's heart must have sank, especially at the news of Jonathan. So David said to the young man who told him, he said, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I mean, that's the logical question. How, do you, how did you come across this news? Who are you and how did you get this news of the death of the anointed of God. And the young man who told him uh, said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear and behold the chariots, uh, which may be in question because up on the mountain it would be hard for chariots to operate and the horsemen pursued him closely. I just happened to be in this area and I saw King Saul leaning on his spear. Now if you're David and you have some investigative uh, intellectual capabilities, kind of like an attorney, you have some questions like, well, how did you end up on the battlefield? And, and where were you when this happened? And if, the, if, the, if they're hotly pursuing Saul, how is it that you are unscathed in all of this? And you've watched the action. Who are you and where did you come from? In 1 Chronicles 10, um, there's, a, there's a report of this. So you have First and Second Samuel, and then turn to your right, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Now there's a parallel account in Second Chronicles chapter 10. Uh, I was reading Warren Wearsby this week, and he was saying that you could think of sec- I'm sorry, First Chronicles 10 is what you want. First Chronicles 10. He was saying that you could think of First Chronicles as telling the story from the priestly point of view, whereas Samuel and Kings is from the king's perspective. Chronicles would be more from the priestly perspective. And here's the record of what happened. We have, we have this recorded in 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10, and they say the same thing, but I want you to see a little bit more detail. 1 Chronicles 10.3 says, The battle became heavy against Saul. The archers overtook him, and he was wounded by the archers. 1 Chronicles 10.4 Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, verse 5, he likewise fell on his sword and died. 
Thus Saul died with his three sons, and all those of his household died together. There'll be more sons that we'll come to in a moment, or in later studies. When all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw they had fled, that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. And it came about the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, this is what they would do, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Now this is going to be a little hard to take, but this is what the Bible says they did. So they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the house of their gods, fastened his head in the house of Dagon. And when all Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, these are ones who Saul had helped earlier, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh, buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and fasted seven days. And so Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, two of them, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, so he was disobedient, and also, number two, because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. He said the Lord wasn't speaking to him, but apparently he didn't even try. Therefore, who killed Saul? He, God, killed him and turned the kingdom to David the son of Jesse. Now, when we think about this account, go to, back to 2 Samuel, and we'll start winding it down. We have some varying accounts. Um, this man is about to tell David that Saul was still alive when he came on the scene, and he had to finish Saul off. Let's pick up the account in 2 Samuel 1, verse 7. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me, and, he, and I said, here I am, 2 Samuel 1, verse 8. He said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. Now, who was Saul supposed to finish off in their entirety? The Amalekites. Application point. When you don't finish off the enemies in your life and you toy with them and you keep them around and you don't deal severely with the things that cause you to sin, eventually they're going to come back and get you. And it's going to be ironic if the man's story is true. It's an Amalekite that finishes off Saul, but the Amalekite shouldn't have been alive if Saul had dealt with his enemies the way God instructed him to do. We toy with sin. We leave it around. We play games with ourselves. We, we leave it there for the next indulgence, but we act like we've dealt with our sin. I know it's quiet in here, <laughs> but hey, this is kind of what we do. And then sometimes we realize, man, I've just been playing a game with myself. By the way, the Amalekites were one of the, from one of the grandsons of Esau, which is a whole nother story. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. 
Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.